Welcome to Can They Do That? brought to you by Scott Law Team, the employment law firm. We are excited to discuss recent employment issues and events that affect your everyday life. Keep in mind this podcast is educational and is not a substitute for legal advice or professional consultation. If you need help, you can reach us at scottlawteam.com. Welcome to Can They Do That, a podcast by the Scott Law Team. My name is Gabe Roberts. I'm an associate attorney here, and I'm here with Kathleen Scott, managing partner of the firm. Good to see you. Thanks for coming down from Jacksonville. (laughs) Yeah, it's good to be here. Um, So I want to uh, talk today about the concept of employees and discussing their pay at work. And some people are fortunate enough to be getting holiday bonuses from their employers, and maybe they want to talk to their coworkers about what bonus they got or what bonus their their coworkers got, just to compare. Um, hmm, I'm wondering if there's some subliminal message going on here. <laughs> no, no, no. The Scott Law team paid very happy bonuses to everyone this year. <laughs> uh, Joking. E- yes, I will uh, um, look pointedly ahead and say yes. I'm very, very happy here, and uh, blink twice if I'm being held hostage. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I want to start with that conversation because I'm sure a lot of employees uh, this time of year and in general, and a lot of employers as well, are probably curious about the question of, can my employer fire me if I discuss pay at work? Or likewise, if I'm an employer, can I do anything to prevent my employees from discussing pay at work? So bonuses are generally um, not required unless you have a contract. So the a concept of holiday bonuses or any bonuses for that matter, just because you like someone or the employee is doing a good job and you want to have a short-term memory and thank them for something that they've done recently, uh, they don't have a, a right to those bonuses unless there's some agreement between the employer. And generally we see that with like salespeople, right? Like, hey, if you hit this metric, then you get this bonus. So bonuses are not a matter of right. They're kind of a privilege and for the, to working. And so it makes sense that employers want to keep Um, that a little bit private between them and the employees, but there's a federal law, the National Labor Relations Act, that makes it difficult for the employer to require confidentiality when it comes to pay. And so you can ask employees if they keep it confidential, but you certainly can't discipline them um, if they decide to tell others. Um, So the NLRA applies only to non-supervisory employees. So that's an important characteristic to keep in mind. So employees who are coworkers, non-management, you know, I don't want to say are free to talk about their pay, um, but I will say that in the state of Florida, there's no prohibition. If they do talk about their pay and they're terminated, they might have a claim under the NLRB. Yeah. So, you know, my understanding of the NLRA or what the NLRB, the board would cover, we're talking about employees engaging in, in what we would call concerted protective activity, right? That's right. And so, you know, in your experience as a labor and employment lawyer and working on cases like this, when you hear the phrase concerted activity, or if you're trying to show that an employee has engaged in that activity, what does that mean? You know, that's a very legal sounding phrase. Yeah. Let's break that down. What does it mean to engage in concerted protective activity? Right. And I think maybe back up just a bit to say, why does it matter? You know, we're having this very like esoteric conversation about what it means to have CPA or concerted protected activity. And that's because we want to make sure employees are protected when they do speak out. But what employees listening should know is that that not all complaints are equal. So only when you're complaining about something that rises to the level of that something that's protected activity um, can you then be protected if you're some type of retaliation or retribution. And so in order to be CPA or concerted protected activity, employees have to be concerted, right? So you have to be complaining, not just on behalf of yourself, hey, I didn't get a bonus, um, that won't qualify. But hey, 
I didn't get a bonus and neither did six other members of the staff and we're upset. So the concerted means two or more or complaining on behalf of um, more than just yourself. And it has to be about something that matters, the terms and conditions of employment. So that could be anything from the schedule, not getting overtime, how much you're paid. Gosh, it could be really a whole host of things. And so if an employee does speak out about that, um, then that could be protected and the employer would be really careful before they discipline those folks or reach out to those folks. I, had, I have a great anecdote. So I had an employee come in once uh, many years ago and said, hey, I'm being asked to sign this document. It's a non-compete or something that says if I leave here, I can't work competitively. And so the employee came and brought five other coworkers and they were they all got asked to sign the same document and the employees didn't want to sign the document. So because they went to a labor lawyer uh, and the response was, well, why don't you write a letter to the employer outlining why you don't want to sign it or try to negotiate for more money or try to negotiate if you do leave, you'd get paid a little severance. Um, and so they did that and they put it in writing and they all signed it and the employer fired every single one of them. So because they were non-management, they filed a claim with the NLRA uh, through the board, the NLRB, and they uh, were successfully reinstated. They got paid all their back wages and the firm got paid its fees. So I guess the lesson there is employees do have rights. You have to know what to complain about and you have to know how to do it the right way. Employers out there listening, be very careful before you take an action against an employee. Um, I always tell my employer clients, when someone raises a concern, the first thing out of your mouth ought to be, thank you for letting me know. <laughs> and then, then we can talk about how to handle it objectively and without retribution. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, employers should always be hesitant, right, to respond with maybe what the, the knee-jerk reaction is because... That, that's a good way to get in trouble, and it's always good to take a beat and, and respond later on, right? Yes. Uh, so the example you, you gave there, that's a good example of a, of a past case here. Um, let's tweak that hypothetical a little in sure. a situation that maybe the employee doesn't go to an attorney first, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe the other employees are, you know, they have the same concerns, but they don't want to all sign the paper. When we're talking about this concerted activity, right, it's be two or more two or more employees taking an action to uh, address the terms and conditions of employment, like you said. Right. Can it ever be a situation where you have one employee who maybe is acting on behalf of the others, but the others aren't willing to be so outspoken about it? I think you can. It just has the complaint has to clearly specify it's on behalf of others. So I'm raising this concern on behalf of myself and all the others. And so, but the, at least one other person has to admit that they did have the same problem. I mean, in litigation, the practicality, the, the practical answer is yes. But if you can't prove it in actuality, it might be difficult to have a successful claim, but you can do that. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up practicality, right? Because as, as attorneys, I think a lot of times we, we discuss legal realities, right? We talk about what's legal, what's illegal, what of the law says an employer or employee can or can't do. But the practical reality in most workplaces is that a lot of times that doesn't matter, right? You know, we talk about the situation of, if, hey, if you're an employer, if your employees are working together to discuss something, be careful not to, uh, you know, discipline them or to retaliate in some way, right? But in a lot of situations, maybe the employer doesn't realize that what the employees are doing is protected, uh, or they just say, you know what, I'm annoyed anyways, and, and they retaliate. Or likewise, the employee doesn't, you know, they don't have an attorney help them draft that first letter. And so maybe they don't say the, the magic words to, to do things right. So we're in this practical reality. What are the tips? Let's start with for employees, right? What are the practical tips? If you're an employee and you're concerned about something and you want to make sure that you're doing everything right, but you don't want to talk to an attorney yet, or you're not sure about how to present things, what are those practical tips for the employee? So I think you have to kind of 
first of all, make a complaint in a way that's constructive and mm-hmm. not angry or volatile or entitled. And so a lot of times you have a knee-jerk response, emotion, we're all humans, we're all animals, right? And so when we something happens, we don't like it. Sometimes we have that knee-jerk response to get angry. And so I would caution employees to like, take a breath, calm down, try to step back, you know, maybe wait a day just to gather your thoughts. And um, because you don't want to act out of anger, because being uncooperative or disruptive is a basis for getting fired. So even though your message might have the best intent, if it's delivered in a way that's disruptive or angry, or, you know, disruptive to the employees, your coworkers, then it's not going to get heard. Um, So that's number one, how you make the complaint calm and constructive. The next part is who do you make the complaint to? I think it's important that it go to a member of, if you have human resources, HR, but it's also important maybe to copy your manager because if the goal is to elevate your legal position and give you a little bit more protection, it's very important to make sure that your manager or your supervisor is on that um, that complaint list. And then what do you say? So not all complaints are equal. I think you have to speak the language of risk. If you really want the employer to pay attention, you got to think about, so if you just, for example, gosh, that Gabe Roberts, he's here and you know, I don't like it. He never smiles at me when I come in in the morning. I feel like that's a hostile work environment. So I'm going to raise a complaint. Um, Dear HR, Gabe isn't smiling again. It makes me feel, he really empties my bucket when I come in in the morning. And I just don't think that's right. Well, what do you think the response is going to be? The employer is not a general civility code enforcer. So um, they're going to really pay attention to the complaints that have serious connotations. So from the employee perspective, yes, you should complain. Do it in a calm manner. Make sure you copy HR and your supervisor. And third, complain about something that actually matters or speaks the language of risk. Um, you can't just say harassment. You got to really describe it. Uh, you can't just say I feel mistreated. Use the word discrimination if you can tell that it's being, um, if you're being treated better or worse than other people outside of your racial class or, or religious class. And so those would be my practical tips from the employee side. Um, of course, it doesn't hurt to get legal advice <laughs> to help you craft that perfect complaint letter too. Yeah, of course. I mean, the number one tip is reach out to an attorney if you're concerned yeah. about this, and and they can help you go through the process. You know. Just because you contact an attorney, that doesn't automatically mean that you're starting a claim, right? I mean, right. a lot of attorneys, our office, and especially what we do is give you advice and, and counsel, right? We'll walk you through that process. We can do it confidentially without contacting your employer if you don't want us to yep. and provide that advice kind of behind the scenes to make sure that your legal position is as elevated as, as it can be, right? Sure. And just to kind of couch that in the terms of the topic today, can they do that? So let's look at it from the employer's perspective for just a minute. Can they do that? Can they make a complaint and now I can't discipline them? I can't fire them for anything? They have like, they're bulletproof? And the answer is no, you're not bulletproof. Um, But boy, employers, I would tell you to tread cautiously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, likewise, the same advice applies to employers. If, If you get one of those complaints from an employee, if you're unsure, that's when, if you have in-house counsel, make, make sure they're looped in. Uh, and yes. if you don't have in-house counsel, make sure you're talking to uh, an employment attorney because they're going to tell you, hey, you know, read in between the lines of what's here. These are the claims I could see they're trying to elevate or, oh, you know what, I'm reading this letter. And that to me reads like an attorney wrote that. And I know it doesn't say an attorney wrote that, but I, I know the magic words they're using here, right? And yeah. so from the employer as well, it's helpful to have, you know, that sort of, you know, third party set of eyes looking through things and interviewing that. 
Sure. And I think the same advice applies for employers too. When you get an employee that comes to you with a complaint, how do you respond? The first advice is the same for both sides, right? A calm response. I can't tell you how many cases evolve because the employer's response is that's not correct and the anger. And so you just want to make sure the people in your management team know that first word is thanks for bringing that to my attention. I wasn't aware. That's not my understanding. Let me get some more details from you. Write it down. Calm response. And then escalate it to HR. Um, if you think it's, you know, I would say tend to lean on the side of escalating it, like you said, either to outside counsel or HR if you have it, um, and then they can decide how to handle it. I think it's important that if an employer receives a complaint, that not only are they calm, but they're responsive to it, right? Because a lot of times we hear, and you know this from doing intakes, employees are like, I made a complaint, I never heard anything, and nothing changed. And so I think employers while they might want to keep some of the details of their investigation private, what they do in response to a complaint, it's very important to follow back up with the original complainer to say, hey, we looked into them and here's the outcome. And so, because without that, employees are just going to walk away feeling like it fell on deaf ears and they probably won't complain again, which they could be hiding things that you really do need to know as an employer and you don't want that culture. So, Right. You, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about having that calm, neutral response and thinking of how to respond. And I think Outside of situations involving people's safety, right? If somebody's right. If somebody's health or well-being is in jeopardy, respond you know more more immediately. But in other situations, which is going to be that's that's going to be the rare complaint. Most complaints are going to be something that you don't need an immediate emergency response. I usually like to give the advice of of the desk drawer rule, right? The idea of write your email, write your letter, put it in a drawer, and right. then wait and come back tomorrow, read yes. it again, and as soon as you read it again, be like, wow, I. I don't want to say that or the way I said that definitely went, you know, further than I meant to. And that's a helpful way to make sure you're getting that calm response. It's, it's good just advice for being married or being in a relationship as well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't need to always say everything you're thinking. Good to yeah. put it out and vent it yeah, um, exactly. and do that. So I want to move a little bit to other considerations, legally speaking, about the Labor Relations Act, right? Because we're talking about this and for me, I mean, you know, we're employment attorneys, we, we know this, but generally speaking, you hear labor relations or you hear NLRA or NLRB. And the first thing I, I think a lot of people will think about is unions, yeah, right? Because sure. you'll hear that and you're like, okay, well, that's that's for union employees and I'm not unionized. So why does that matter to me? Or if you're the employer, my employees don't have a union. So this doesn't apply to us, right? Right. So let's, let's address that myth, right? right? When we're talking about the Labor Relations Act and the NLRB and what they cover, does it matter if you're in a union or not in a union? It does not. So it's a common misconception, as you sort of alluded to in your yeah. question, that um, the NLRB investigates allegations on behalf of the National Labor Relations Act. That's their federal statute. But it applies to all employers with two or more employees. So that's pretty much everybody. And so if you work for a company that has more than two employees and you're not in management, uh, which has a special definition, you're covered by this act, which means you have the right to complain without suffering retaliation. It means for employers, hopefully you have a plan. This is like, you know, the hurricane's coming. Do you have an evacuation plan? Now's the time. If you don't have it, employers have a plan. How do we deal with employee complaints? And so just set that plan in motion so that when it happens, you're not scrambling. Right. You're not going, okay, it's 10 hours until the hurricane shutters need to be up. Um, you have a little bit of time to, to, so make a plan. And that plan should include who's going to respond, how to respond, when you're going to do a full escalated investigation, you know, and make sure that somebody's looking out for the employee who complained to make sure that they're not being mistreated after their complaints. 
So we're happy to help with that plan, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, labor and employment attorneys can always help with, with those plans and, and addressing things. And that's usually the best way to save money in the long run is to address that ahead of, ahead of time, right? Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, we're talking about coverage and, and who's covered by this. And, and of course, yeah, it's going to be almost all private employees, right? Right. There are a few notable exceptions. You already mentioned the fact of people who are supervisors or in management. They're not covered by by the Labor Relations Act. Uh, likewise, government employees have other protections as well. So it's only private employees we're talking about here. So if you work for the federal or state or local government, um, you know, there's other things that can protect you, but it won't particularly be this. That's right. Um, and then also some specific jobs, you know, agricultural workers, uh, domestic service people who work in a home. Uh, if if you work for your family, if you work for your parents, you're, you're excluded as well. And then if you're a, a railroad or an airline employee, there's a separate act for you as well that is not part of this. Um, yeah. And like everything in law, there's one rule and then ten <laughs> exceptions, right? So yeah, exactly. Uh, and if the exception if the exception does not exist yet, you can bet somebody is out there trying to make it exist. And if they get the right judge, who knows? Yeah. Um, the one larger exception, so to speak, that I want to make sure we discuss is the idea of we're using the word employee a lot here, right? And independent contractors aren't going to be covered by the Labor Relations Act as well. And that's a whole longer conversation that we can address in other podcast episodes. But just generally speaking. How do we, if you're someone who works for uh, an employer and you're wondering, does this apply to me? And you're like, okay, well, I, I don't work for the government. I'm not a supervisor. I'm not an agricultural worker. How do I know am I an independent contractor? You know, what does that mean? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that definition is evolving. Yeah. I know when I first started practicing, gosh, almost 25 years ago, it was very easy to become an independent contractor to help an employer craft a workforce that had a lot of contractors. And now the shift has gone absolutely the other direction. We're pretty much... Um, you know, everyone is, it's very difficult to have a true independent contractor. And I like to say it's a duck analysis. <laughs> so if it quacks, it's a duck. And so here's what the quacking sounds like. If you're benefiting the, that one employer and that's probably, and that's your only employer, and this is a loose definition because it's a little bit of a sliding moving target. But if you, if you're working exclusively for somebody um, and they control your schedule, your pay, your job, you've got some basic training, you're out there in the public promoting them as you're as as an, a rep or an employee of that company, then you're a duck and you're quacking and therefore you equal employee. Um, there are in some states, the concept of independent contractor is being eradicated, like California, for example. Um, so I think there's a, everyone always looks at it like a tax issue. So, well, my accountant told me I should classify these folks as contractors. So that's great from a tax standpoint, but that does nothing um, from a labor law standpoint. In fact, we've seen some really interesting cases uh, and I will just also say expensive cases from on the employer side where uh, there's a, a whole host of healthcare workers in a category that are classified as independent contractors. And the courts have looked at this issue and said, well, that's great for tax purposes that this is an independent contractor, but for purposes of paying overtime and minimum wage, that that analysis doesn't apply and they're going to, they're finding in favor of employee status. So the hallmark and central issue is really who controls the workplace. And most people don't work at a place where they can just come and go uh, and no one tells them what to do. Sort of the reality of the workplace is there's, you know, the economic realities of the workplace. That's the name of the test is, you know, the employer tells you when to come, how to do your job. He's, these are your, your clients. These are your job duties. And so I think it's getting more and more to become mm -hmm. very pro employee and sort of moving away from those, um, classifications as a true contractor. 
Yeah, I, well, you know, that sounds like a, a wonderful podcast episode for us to record next uh, on that topic of minimum wage overtime, yeah. independent contractors and whatnot. But uh, on the topic of concerted activity and discussing pay and work, uh, I think we've addressed the big issues here. But were there any last tips or uh, points of advice you want to make Yeah, sure so we did talk about a lot. So number one, can they do that? Can they deny me a holiday bonus? Yes. Uh-uh. Sorry, employees. <laughs> Your company has the total discretion to either pay you a bonus or not pay you a bonus. Um, now, the, the sidestep to that is, well, if they pay other people in the same job category a bonus and don't pay you one, I'd want to take a hard look at the gender and protected characteristics of those folks. Uh, we talked about, can they make me um, not discuss my pay with coworkers, generally speaking? Kind of. We can ask employees to keep it confidential, but we certainly cannot discipline them if they decide to blab. So employers uh, tread lightly in that category. Uh, we talked a little bit about complaints, too. And just a reminder, not all complaints are equal, so you want to complain about something that will elevate your legal position, complain about something that um, kind of speak the language of risk uh, to HR and to your supervisor. We talked about, you know, reminding employers to not retaliate against those employees who are brave enough to come and speak out. So can they do that? Can you fire an employee for complaining? And the answer is probably not if they've done their job, listened to this podcast and done the right <laughs> kind of complaining. So um, thank you so much, Gabe. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you so much for joining Can They Do That? For everything employment law related, please visit us on our next episode or in the meantime at our website at scottlawteam.com. Until then.